Okay, good evening. I, I apologize that I'm a couple minutes late. Unfortunately, when I went to copy the sheets, I was getting an error message from the copying machine, and my, my copying machine skills were not up to par, but Baruch Hashem, after a couple uh, attempts, we got the papers to come out. Okay, so what I would like to do tonight is something similar to what we've done in the past, but I would like it to be a little bit more of an exercise that I'm going to challenge you a little bit to do it on your own, which is, again, I, I chose, you'll see here there are three Gemaras here. I chose one in Meseches Sukkah, another one in Meseches Kiddushin, and another one in Meseches Pesachim. What I would like to do is I'd like to learn the Gemaras with you differently than the way we learned them in the past. In other words, I'm not going to address all the, the typical questions that we have. I'm going to learn the Gemara with you in, any way, in a way that we would typically learn a Gemara in a quick Gemara share. And then I'd like to see if you can go back and learn the Gemara the way that we've been learning it. So if you'll see on page 12, I just put a number of questions. These are not questions that are new questions to you. You're familiar with these questions because we discussed these, but we can pass this to Ralph. You'll see on page 12, is what are the scenarios in the Mishnah? What are the issues? What is your default position? What's the Chiddush? The Gemara distinguishes between the case of the stolen lulav and the dried out one. What is the distinction based on? What are the key terms you need to know for this Gemara? The Gemara presents an idea to explain the Allah and the Mishnah. What is it? How did the Gemara validate the authenticity of this idea? So these are all, these are all questions that you're familiar with based on the past two shiurim that we always ask these questions every time we learn a Gemara, you ask these questions. But instead of me inserting these questions into the Gemara, into the Mishnah, as we read it, I'm just going to learn it with you. And then we're going to learn the Gemara, and I'll take a little break for a couple minutes, give you the opportunity to be able to identify those on your own, and then we'll do the next one. Again, I hope this is not giving too much of like a school impression. It is true that I'm a high school Rebbe, and in school I probably would, would have done this already. But I think the idea is, the reason why we do this in high school is because we, we uh, demand from our students that they participate and that they actually demonstrate an understanding of the, of the concepts, not because it's fun for us, not because we need the validation from our students to make ourselves feel good, but because that's the way we actually get them to learn something. So if I'm presenting that this is the method that you can use to help you learn a Gemara, I'm, gonna, I'm going to at least validate that by... Um, employing that process. I'm not going to grade it. I'm not going to it. Maybe at the end we'll have more of a grading system. But at this point, we're not going to do that. So again, let's begin. We are in Daf Chavtes in Meseches Sukkah. We are on page 11 of our packet. The, the, the Mishnah writes as follows. Lulav HaGazol v'hayavesh pasal. Now, for the sake of honesty, this Mishnah is a lot longer than these two short statements over here. The Mishnah does go on and does give a description of a lot of other halachas, but I'm skipping those because we're not learning that now. Okay, so lulav hagazol, simply translated, is a stolen lulav. A lulav which was stolen, or a lulav which is dried out, is puzzled, disqualified, it cannot be used to be mekayim your mitzvah of dalad minim on, on sukkis. That's the, that's the Mishnah. Okay, the Gemara goes on immediately after the Mishnah and writes the following. Kapasik vatani. And... The, this Gemara is referring to the Mishnah and says the Gemara made a halachic psak, in other words, an unequivocal halachic psak without any exceptions. And what that means is, Loshna, Biyom Tov Rishon, 
This halacha is true whether it is the first day of Yom Tif or if it is the subsequent days of Yom Tif. So whether you are shaking your lulav on day one or if you're shaking your lulav on day three, the halacha is the same, that if your lulav is stolen or if your lulav is dried out, it is disqualified. You cannot use that lulav at any point in time over sukkahs. Now the Gemara goes on. Ubishlama, the vav there, actually, it looks like it says Ubishlama. I should have uh, erased it. I tried to take all those out. This is because I took it from a Gemara, which has little um, footnotes. So there's a vav there. Vav is not part of the text. Bishlama Yavesh. I can understand Yavesh. In other words, the, the soul, the disqualification of a dried out lulav makes a lot of sense. Why? Because Hadar Be'inan. One is required to have a lulav which fits the description of Hadar. Hadar is something which is beautiful. Veleka, but you don't have it. So the Gemara says, I can understand why your lulav hayavesh, your dried out lulav is disqualified because one of the key ingredients to a kosher lulav is that it should be beautiful. But everyone could, uh, could agree that a dried out lulav doesn't fit that category. Nobody would go to the flower store and buy dried out flowers. The truth is perhaps dried out flowers could actually make quite, quite a nice design. But don't try it. Don't come home one Friday afternoon with dried out flowers. El Agazel, a stolen lulav, the Gemara says the following. Bishlama. It is all good. It all makes sense. I'm at peace with the fact that on Yom Tov Rishon, it will be disqualified. Why dechsev? For it says in the Pasuk, Lachem, V'lakachtem Lachem, Pri'etz Hadar, Kafos Tamarim. The Pasuk says that you shall take for yourself. Lachem is an indication that it must be Misha Lachem. It must be your own property. You most must own it. El Yom Tov Sheni, when we're talking about the second day of Yom Tif, and all the subsequent days after that, Amilo, why can't you use a stolen lulav? In other words, what is the problem with using a stolen lulav on any, on any other day? Now, the assumption here is, the premise is that the problem with the stolen lulav is that the Pasuk disqualifies it because the Pasuk says, Lachem, it must belong to you. And something which is stolen, by definition, doesn't belong to you. But on subsequent days which are not Midoraisa, and does not have to fit that category of Lachem, so then why can't I use a stolen lulav? Again, the Gemara is not condoning stealing a lulav. This is a question, well, did the person fulfill his mitzvah or not? Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Rabbi Yochanan answered this question in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, and he says, Mishum dehavelei mitzvah haba'a ba'avera. Because this is a mitzvah haba'a Your only way of fulfilling this mitzvah on the subsequent days of Sukkot with your lulav needs to come through an act of an avera. You could not have had this lulav if you wouldn't have stolen it. And therefore, any mitzvah that comes by way of an avera is automatically disqualified. Now, he needs to back that up. How does he back that up? He says, Shenemar, for it says in the Pasuk, Vahavesem Gozul, Ves Hapiseach, Ves Hachola. This is talking about a, a person who's bringing a carbon. And the Pasuk says, a person will bring Gozul. Gozul is a stolen animal. 
Piseach is an animal which is lame, it can't walk. Vesachola is an animal which is ill. And the Gemara says, if it says Gozel, right before Piseach, Gozel dumi de Piseach. This is the concept of a Hekish, a juxtaposition in the Pasuk, where the Pasuk lists a number of disqualifications when it comes to a carbon all in one fell swoop. It puts them all in one sentence. So they must all be very similar. And therefore, ma piseach, lestle takanta, just like a lame animal, really has no remedy. You can't fix a lame animal by making it not lame. Alkozo lestle takanta. A stolen animal as well, there's no way to fix it. It's broken, it's stolen, you can't use it. And the Gemara adds in another detail here. Lo shnalif neyeyosh. It makes no difference whether this is before the owner of the lulav despaired from ever getting it back. Makes no difference whether or not this lulav is being used after the original owner gave up hope. He despaired from ever getting it back. So the Gemara says, okay. In other words, just to take stock of what's going on here. We understand why a dried out lulav can't be used. The reason for that is because it's dried out, it's not nice. It's got to be nice. We understand why in the first day of Yom Tov you can't use a stolen, stolen lulav because the Pasuk says you need to own it. Okay? Good. We also underst- now, we also understand why a person can't use it on the subsequent days because of the problem of mitzvah hababa avera. It's a mitzvah which comes by way of an avera. And the Gemara throws in, it makes no difference if the original owner despaired from ever getting it back or... He didn't despair. Now the Gemara says, why is that true? I can understand why if this person is using this lulav before the original owner despaired getting it back. Again, we, the truth is, this is actually talking about a carbon. Okay, the carbon. I can understand why a carbon which is stolen can't be brought. In other words, I can't bring a carbon which is stolen because it has to be mikem. It needs to be your own. The person never, dis- never despaired. He's still trying to track down the thief to find his, his animal. So then what business do you have to walk into the base of Mikdosh with it? It's not yours. The carbon needs to come from you. You can't take your neighbor's animal and bring it for a carbon. For talking about after the original owner despaired ever getting it back, the thief what acquired the animal, he now owns the animal by virtue of the fact that he stole it. Now, we're not saying we're condoning acquiring things by way of stealing, but there is a halacha that when a thief steals something, there are ways that the thief actually takes ownership of the items that he steals. That doesn't mean he doesn't have to pay back. Of course, he has to pay back the original owner. But if he takes ownership over the item that he stole, it now belongs to him, and now he has that debt on his shoulders that he needs to reimburse the original owner. One of those ways is by way of Yeosh. When the original owner despairs getting it back, he does not have to give back that item anymore. He only has to pay back the value of that item. So Gemara says, El Olav, it must be. The reason why a person can't bring this carbon even after the owner despaired ever getting it back is because Mishum Tehavale Mitzvah Haba Bavera this is 
The classic example of mitzvah baba vera, person walks into the base of mikdash with a carbon and he says, here, I'd like to bring a carbon ola, and it's such a beautiful thing, he's bringing an animal as a carbon to Hashem, but you know what, you stole the animal. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not want your stolen goods, even if you own it. So from here, we see the concept of mitzvah haba bavera, which means any time a person wants to be mekayim a mitzvah, he wants to fulfill a mitzvah, if he needed to transgress an avera in order for him to be able to fulfill that mitzvah, he cannot fulfill that mitzvah. That's what we learn from karban. If that halach is true by a karban, that a karban cannot be brought because it came by way of an avera, the same thing is true when it comes to a lulav, that a person cannot use a lulav on any day of Yom Tif, whether it's the first day or it's any of the subsequent days, if he stole it, because that, by definition, is the mitzvah of Vera. We'll stop here. I included, I included the next paragraph in the, on the page, but it's not so relevant to what we're discussing. It's just, you know, uh, an idea where HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows us that even though he's Malachal Arts Kvayda, he owns everything, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to learn from his actions that just like he doesn't want to have anything which even resembles Gazelle, so he doesn't want us to do the same thing. Again, that's, that's more of like a Musar Haskell, which Gemara brings in. But again, that was the Gemara. So let's review it. We have, we have two cases in the Mishnah. We have the Gemara trying to understand those two cases. The Gemara presents an understanding for each halacha. The Gemara asks questions on those understandings. And the Gemara goes ahead and presents a final conclusion. So now, I'll take a break for a second. And I would ask you... Now, to try to answer these questions, you could do it yourself, you could do it with the person sitting next to you, you could do it however you want, do it as a group, but I think that just answering these questions by, by yourself would be very helpful. I avoided answering these questions on my own as we went through it, and we'll go through it together in a few minutes. Okay, let's go through this together now, and um, we'll see if you'll tell me if I'm correct. Okay, so the first question is, what are the scenarios in the Mishnah? So the scenario clearly is a person has a lulav and he's shaking it. That's the scenario. Okay, standing in shul or not in shul, wherever he might be, he's holding his lulav and he says, That's the scenario. What's the issue? The issue is that this lulav was not purchased properly or this lulav wasn't checked by the rabbi before Sukkot. Why? Because his lulav is either dried out or his lulav was never paid for. So that's the, that's the scenario and the issue. Scenario is, clearly just understand, a person is standing there on Yom Tif, trying to fulfill his mitzvah of shaking the lulav. What is the issue that comes up? His, his lulav is not a typical lulav. Either he stole it or it's dried out and, it's, and it has... Appearance issues. Okay, so that's question number one. And number two. So now, if I had to ask you, before learning anything in the Gemara, what would your default position be? So, let's go through each case individually. Yavesh. I'm not necessarily sure that I would have known anything, because I have to know the Pasuk. But if I know the Pasuk, which says, I'm not sure what I would know. In other words, I'm going through this slowly. The Pasuk says, 
I know this information. But again, the assumption is that one who's learning the Mishnah has the text of the Torah already. So you can check it out. The Mishnah is not here to send you to check up a Pasuk in the Torah. The assumption is you had the ability to check it up. So you would know that one of the ingredients in the pre eights, which is the Esrog, is Hadar. Do you know that Hadar extends to the rest of the Dalad Minim as well? Not necessarily. So my default position is, I have no reason to assume that a dried out lulav is puzzle. So I'm, my, my default position might be, it's a lulav. If it's a lulav, it should be kosher. Same thing is true with, a, with guzzle. Perhaps I did something wrong. But just like if I stole a car and I drove it to shul, I am in the building. No one can deny that I'm in the building. Despite the fact that I got there with a stolen car, so no one could deny that I shook a shukalula, despite the fact that I stole it. So again, I would say my default position would be that a stolen lulav, stolen lulav should be kosher. Because I have no reason to assume that one negative action of mine, which is stealing the lulav, would translate into my shaking the lulav is not going to be kosher. At least that's my default position. So I'm satisfied what I see at the end of the Mishnah where it says puzzle. Because now I have a Chiddush. I have a Chiddush that a dried out lulav can't be used. Because if I know that a palm branch is what needs to be, what needs to be taken on Sukkot, so then I have no reason to assume the palm branch has to have any qualifications. As long as it's a branch, it should be kosher. Oh, Mishnah tells me if it's dried out, I can't use it. That's a Chiddush. Next, if I pluck that branch off of your tree without telling you, without paying you for it, so then, I have no reason to assume that just because I did one thing wrong, that that means I can't fulfill my mitzvah with it. So I have two chidushim here. Okay? Chidush one, a dried out lulav can't be used. Chidush two, a stolen lulav can't be used. Now the Gemara does not use the terminology of minolan here. The Gemara accepts it as a davar pashat because the Gemara read the pasuk. But in my mind, I should be waiting for a source in the Gemara. I should be asking myself, how do I know this information? How do I know that it's possible? So what is the Chiddush? The Chiddush is that it's possible. And now, I didn't put all the questions on, but the question is, why is it possible? The answer is, well, the Pasuk says, it's got to be Hadar. So again, the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, Hadar. Now you're asking a question on the Gemara, why are you telling me that Hadar extends? So the Gemara does go on later, and the Gemara says that we were makish. Just like we have this juxtaposition over here with the Karbanos, we make a hekish that Hadar applies to all of them. There are others who say that even if without Hadar, the Zetosus, which discusses this, we can't give all shear on this, but it's possible that the Zekeli van Vehu, in and of itself, would require that it's going to be, it's a machlokis rashi and tosis, but again, it's not, it's not the sugi for today. But again, the bottom line is, I have this question, why is dried at lulav going to be possible? The Gemara answers it by saying, it says yavish. So I'm satisfied. Now, the next, next question is, the Gemara distinguishes between a case of a stolen lulav and a dried out one. What was the distinction based on? Now, I'm really asking this question because I want you to recognize there's no svara over here. This is not something that a person would have logically concluded on their own. The distinction is based on a Pasuk. In other words, it's a Gzeras HaKasav. 
in, in as much as I have to take a branch and shake it, the Torah can tell me what type of branch. And the Gemara can tell me details about that branch. So simply, in other words, don't use logic to figure this one out. This is one of those cases where you would figure it out only if you know the Pasuk. But what, what, the first thing that with the, with the Mishnah is that you're talking, to, you're talking about the physical condition of the Lulav, which is a dried out object. The other one, there's, there's no, you can't tell whether a Lulav is stolen or not stolen. By, so there, there are two different Lulavim. Correct. But, and you'd have to have two separate psukim to teach you both of those halakhas. And, well, and well, they should be two separate missions. Why are they in the same why are they even the same mission? Okay, that, that's a good question. The, the, Gemara, the Mishnah goes on to explain a bunch of qualifications of this lulav. In other words, the way I see this Mishnah is that, okay, we have a Pasuk that says to take kapos tomorrow. Now, the Mishnah needs to qualify based on, based on the Psukim what that looks like, what are the details. Now we're going through a list of details that are relevant. So now, clearly the first Pasuk of Hadar is going to explain category number one of how, how it, its appearance the next thing we need to understand is why would a stolen, in other words, like you're mentioning, this is like, it's like a hezek she'eno nicker. It's not noticeable. It's not like you dented someone's car. This is something which is in the ownership, in my non-visual understanding or comprehension of this item. There's something in this which tells me that it's, it's disqualified. How do you know that? Where does that come from? It needs to come from somewhere. The Gemara attempts to find the Pasuk for that as well. The problem is that the first line of the Gemara threw out a statement and said, notice, this Mishnah did not distinguish between the first day and any other subsequent days. So any information you're going to give me needs to be relevant to all of those days. So you can't use the Pasuk of Lachem, Lachachtam Lachem Bayom Arishon. The Pasuk says Lachem Bayom Arishon. So that would only be relevant on the first day. So therefore, the, Gemara, the Gemara's arm is twisted to find another reason, another source to this halacha. In other words, we can't move on from this line in the Mishnah until we have some kind of source which substantiates this halacha that the lulav is going to be disqualified. So now what is, what is the next... Let's skip over that, that, that next question. Go to the last question. The Gemara presents an idea to explain the halach in the Mishnah. What is it? This is the concept of mitzvah babavera. The Gemara presents this idea. It's much more of an idea than it is exeris hakasav. Much more than, than an actual explicit law in the Torah. In other words, what's this idea? That if I needed to violate some type of prohibition, to transgress some type of mitzvah in the Torah, in order to get me to the finish line, that disqualifies my finish line. Now, is that a chiddush to anybody? I would think so. If someone ran through a red light, we know Zekeli van Veyu. okay, Zekeli van Veyu, you, you can't bring any other any other ideas. It's unrepairable. <laughs> just like just like the Pisea, it's unrepairable. Again, where does that come from? From a pasuk. From a pasuk. Okay, so the idea of mitzvah babavera is something which is not necessarily logical. Would you say that if somebody if somebody, uh, I don't know, washes the floors in the shul, makes the shul look beautiful, but he went through a red light to get here. Would you say that the, the shul's floors are not going to be beautiful or that the person 
has not fulfilled some type of mitzvah by beautifying the shul. Now, what is the difference? What if a person ran through a red light to go buy a lulav? Is that the same thing? We'll have to ask ourselves those questions. But ultimately, this is not something which is logical. It's not a logical conclusion that just because someone violated an iser in order to get to the finish line, that that disqualifies the finish line. So now, where do we get that from? Where, how do we validate that? And that was the answer that you presented at the Pasuk. tells us by a carbon that a stolen carbon is similar to a lame carbon. Just like a lame carbon has no repair, it has a moment, can't be used, the same thing is true when it comes to a, a carbon which is stolen. Oh, but maybe the guy will, he will uh, despair. Okay, maybe the guy will despair, but that doesn't fix it. Why not? Because mitzvah babavera is, it's already established. I'm doing this mitzvah by the virtue of the fact that I stole it. So, what am I, what am I, and then now what are key terms? Key terms we have to know over here is the concept of hadar. It, the, that's a hadar. You have to have your, your dialed meaning needs to be hadar. We also have, have to have lachem. Lachem means that mishlachem. That has to come. From, has to be yours. Mitzvah baba vera is a critical term here because if you don't understand what that term means, you can't make sense out of this gemara. Then we also have to have. I didn't underline it on the page, but kapasik fatani. Kapasik fatani is, is where the gemara is telling us it's the first three words after the gemara, which are this is an unequivocal statement. Kapasik fatani. The Mishnah paskind and learned and did not give any exceptions to the rule. Now, as you're going through it, you might find more key terms. El Alav is another one. El Alav, which ultimately in this case means, rather, must it not be. In other words, it's kind of like El Alav, rather, must it not be because of mitzvah baba vera. In other words, if I can't make any other sense out of why I can't bring a carbon after the owner despaired from ever getting it back, it must be that there's another halach over here. What's that halacha? That halacha is mitzvah babavera. Now, what do we accomplish from doing this? What we accomplish from doing this is, we showed how, if you were to learn the Mishnah properly, and again, this is the premise of all our learning of Gemara, we're going to see this over and over again, if you stop in the Mishnah and say, Lulav HaGazel, puzzle. why? What would I have thought? Would I have come to that conclusion that it's puzzle? If yes, ask yourself why. If no, ask yourself, where did the Gemara get it from? The Gemara goes through that process over here by walking us through the steps. It takes us through a methodical way of getting to the bottom line of trying this. Let, let's try this Pasuk. Okay, we try number one, which is Hadar. That's not relevant to Guzzle. We try the second one, which is Lachem. Very good. It's relevant for the first day, not the subsequent days. So I'm stuck without an explanation as to why the Mishnah was unequivocal that it's always going to be disqualified. I need to come up with something else. So perhaps, now I start using my thought process. Maybe violating an Isser, violating one of the mitzvahs in the Torah, in order to fulfill another one, disqualifies the subsequent mitzvah. That's a nice idea. And I can understand that that might be an idea. Is it 100% logical? No. Do I have a problem with its logic? No. Can I understand that the Torah would have a consequence to somebody who violated an Isser to get something? The Torah doesn't want people behaving that way. The Torah doesn't want to have people violating all kinds of isurim in order to be able to get to a bottom line. Imagine the behavior of people. If people, if 
if it would be acceptable for people to violate all kinds of Yisurim to fulfill a mitzvah. I mean, what type of davar mechur is that? We see that the, the poskim used these types of terms, that it's a davar mechur to do something. It's disgusting. Yes, it's disgusting. Who says that I didn't fulfill my mitzvah? Go so far to say that I didn't even fulfill my mitzvah. Who says I didn't fulfill my mitzvah? Well, the answer is you need to have some type of pasuk for that. What's that pasuk going to be? So we, tur- turn our, to, we open up our search engine, and then the Gemara does this for us, and finds a place where we find that concept. Where is that relevant? By a carbon. Just like a stolen carbon. I should say, a stolen carbon is compared to a lame carbon. Just like a lame carbon has no remedy, a stolen carbon has no remedy either. Why not? Let the guy give up on it. Let the guy give up and despair on ever getting it back, and that will halachically give the thief ownership over the item. Why can't he use it? Oh, now we can validate the concept of mitzvah babavir. So that's what we did. I think we're kind of running out of time. I wanted to do another one, but I think let's, let's hold it over here. The next week, I might challenge you just a little bit further. I'll ask you to learn the Gemara on your own, and then we'll do it. But again, we'll, we'll go through this methodically and slowly, and we'll get through it. But again, I, I hope that what we're, ha- what we're accomplishing over here is that the thesis that I presented to you in the first week, the premise that I presented to you in the first week, about what it is to learn Gemara is being validated through all these different Gemaras. And I'm telling you, it's not like I have like a, a database of all the Gemaras that I found that fit this description. I'll, I'll just be honest with you, this afternoon, I came home, I was actually a little bit behind because I'm starting school this week and I had teachers meetings today and I have a lot of things that I, that I pushed off a whole summer because I thought I have plenty of time until school starts and I realized this week school starts on Thursday and I have five classes that I have to have handouts ready for, and I was busy all day yesterday, and I, and I came home today and said, we have to share tonight, and I'm not saying this because I'm trying to pat myself on the back, but I opened up my computer, and I said, which Gemara can we use? And I just chose out these three Gemaras, and it fits, it works. It's not like I'm selectively doing it. We'll see, as we go through a lot of different Gemaras in Shas, you'll see that it works. Are there tangents in Gemara? Yes. Is there a Gadata in Gemara? Yes. And one of those is right here. At the end of, of the Gemara, on page 11, the Gemara goes through a thing with a mushal, who's a king, he's traveling, he pays the toll. Why is he paying the toll? It's moving money from one pocket to the other pocket. Well, there's a concept. The Gemara does that, not just to make it exciting, but the Gemara is able to sometimes bring down concepts into human terms. It was written by humans. It's written for humans. The Gemara goes through these things to make it relevant and to bring out less lessons through different types of Gemaras. Hopefully we'll have a chance to be able to analyze and got it to Gemara's as well, but it's a different, that's a, as they call it, that's a different animal. Okay? Have a wonderful night.